Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate that. What Kyle won't say, Kyle kind of spins the story a little bit, right? The reality is, is we actually had to create two positions to fill the position that Kyle had held himself for 18 years. And so it was twice the work that Joe or I could handle. So we actually had to, to do a little uh, maneuvering to make it work. And so I will tell you this, that Kyle's uh, move over here uh, has been an incredible gift, I know, to you. Uh, but we have seen the, the influence and the gift of what he, we, he's given to LifePoint as a whole for the last 18 years in his absence. And so we're working as hard as we can to try to fill those shoes. Uh, those are tall, tall shoulders to stand on. And I know Joe and I, for one, uh, but others as well, are so grateful for the work that Kyle's done. He and Amy loving you uh, in this transition, but loving this church for 18 years. And so we're super, super thankful for that. I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, I don't know if you know, but it actually felt like fall this weekend. I got a little excited about that. Uh, you know, I put a sweatshirt on on Friday for the first time in like seven months. Uh, I think, hopefully it didn't have COVID on it because I haven't worn it in seven months, but, um, but, but I put a sweat, it was awesome, right? And what's cool about this fall, in my opinion, okay, I'm a bit of a sports nut, right? And so uh, what's happening right now has never happened in my life before, and I'm really, really excited about it, Okay. In the next week, listen to what happens all at one time. Professional basketball, baseball, football, hockey. I mean, shoot, like soccer, uh, uh, tennis, badminton probably. I saw something about cricket, um, golf. It's all going on at one time. And so I'm overwhelmed with excitement about all this right now. I'm saying thank you, Jesus, for COVID because this never would have happened otherwise. And so I'm super excited about it. Uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's really cool to watch what kind of un, un, unfolds during this season as all of these sports come back. It, it brings back thoughts that I have about literally just, I love sports. And so uh, when I transitioned to Tennessee three, three and a half years ago, as a matter of fact, I transitioned to Tennessee uh, through sports. I, I spent a lot of time with Rodney and Selma Wilson during that season. Rodney and I would stay up late and watch the Preds and the Stanley Cup Finals during that season. It was a, such a gift for me, uh, but sports have really driven a lot of my life. And so in particular, one of the things I love to do is watch sports movies, right? And I think one of the greatest of all time, one of the greatest of all time, maybe not the greatest, but one of them at least, is the movie Remember the Titans, right? And if you're familiar with it, somebody else agrees, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, listen, if you're familiar with the story, let me, let me give you a little summary for those of you that aren't familiar with the story. There's a, a high school in Virginia, in the state of Virginia, and in, in this high school, T.C. Williams High School, uh, Denzel Washington plays the coach of this school, this football team, and, and there what's happened is they've been racially segregated for a long time. It's a deep standing thing. And so what's happened is uh, Denzel comes in during this time when they're integrating the school. They also integrate the football team, historic football program. And what happens is this racial integration takes place, which creates a lot of tension and turmoil in the school and in the community. And so he's trying to you know, fight to move ahead. He's giving them warnings about you know, not being divided anymore. He's trying to push them forward, trying to make them better, trying to bring groups of people together that are very, very divided. And so what he does is in preparation for the season, at the end of the summer, they go off to camp. And now they're at camp. Uh, a lot of that tension and that turmoil, it really bubbles up and it gets worse and worse and worse. And so one morning, Denzel wakes everybody up before the sun comes up. And he says, come with me, we're going for a run. And they go for this run through the woods before the sun comes up, and they arrive at this, this fog-covered battleground and cemetery. All the guys are exhausted, they're dirty, they're tired from this run through the woods, and Denzel stands in front of them as their coach. And I want you to hear the words that he says. Does anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. 
This is where they fought the battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here was painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, men, saying, I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen and take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. If you're familiar with the film, spoiler alert, <laughs> but that was the moment when they began to come together. And they began to unite around a shared direction and passion and love for the game of football, but also something greater. And what happened is they began to, to support each other and fight for each other instead of against each other. The entire community changes around them because of that. You know, if there was ever a time in our world when we needed a reminder like this, it's now. It's now. You think about the depth of anger, malice, wrath, division, destruction in our culture right now. You think about the feelings that maybe even some of you in this room have experienced of anger, anxiety during this season, loneliness, depression, worry, fear, confusion. You know, now is as good a time as any for us to take a moment to pause and look back and remember who we are, to remember who we are. You know, if I could today, I, I, I'd take us all, we, we'd circle up outside, right, and go for a little walk, not a run, a walk, okay? We're not going for a run through the woods today. But, you know, metaphorically speaking, we could go for a little walk and go to another battlefield, another cemetery, another graveyard, a battlefield called Calvary, where one man fought, and won a fight against the sin and the death and the destruction and the malice that is causing all of this turmoil in our world, world today. And he didn't just fight against it, but he was victorious over it. And once we leave that scene, we could walk through this quaint little garden, several hundred yards to a cemetery, a graveyard, where lies an empty tomb. An empty tomb where Jesus was placed for a moment, where he held his breath for three days and then was raised to life, showing victory over this sin and this death and this malice and this anger in our world today so that we could have life. You know, if there was ever a time when we needed a reminder like this to pause, to look back on what has happened on the most significant battlefield in history, that hill called Calvary where Jesus died, and to remember who we are because of it. Remember who we are because of it. That's the journey we're gonna go on today. You know, we're in this series, we're called Verified. We've called it Verified as we're studying the book of 1 John because we believe that John is using these words to challenge true believers of Jesus Christ to grow confidence in who they are, to understand the weight of what Jesus has done and to understand that we can have confidence and assurance in that even today. And so we've been reminded that when we are verified, a verified believer, they, they truly know Jesus. 
They've been changed by Jesus. They continue to be changed by Jesus. They're committed and connected to the people of Jesus. That a verified follower of Jesus is going to run from darkness and walk in the light. That a verified follower of Jesus is willing to ask some really honest questions about what we believe, about what we do in life, about how we relate to people. You know, and what John's been doing in many ways is, is kind of this really delicate dance because he's trying to assure true believers of Jesus Christ that you can have confidence in these things. At the same time, he's trying to warn those that are faking it, that are saying it with their mouth, but their lives don't line up. Or as the Old Testament prophet would say, they, they confess things with their mouth, but their hearts are far from God. He's trying to confront that reality at the same time. And so John's been doing this kind of dance thing back and forth. Hey, believers, be assured, but those that are fake, you need to be confronted with this. And he's been going back and forth. And in a sense, the believers might begin to feel a bit doubtful a bit overwhelmed, a bit questioning can come up in their lives. And so in verse 12 of chapter 2, John hits pause. And he says, hey, listen, family, you need to remember who you are. You need to remember who you are. And he introduces this for us similarly to what Denzel does in Remember the Titans where he says, hey, Hey, we need to go back and remember what's been done so we can remember who we are. And today in 1 John chapter 2, that's exactly what I want us to see. That we too, who are followers of Jesus, we need to remember who we are. So in 1 John chapter 2, I want to read verses 12 through 14. It says this, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You know, as we look at this text, there's three groups of people that stand out to us real quick because they're mentioned two different times. Children or little children, fathers and young men. Now, I will tell you that really brilliant people who have studied this text for uh, days and weeks and months and years have varying opinions on who those specific groups are being, who's being referred to by those groups, those titles, right? Some would say that he's talking about chronological age, like this is little, young people, children, right? Young adults and then older adults. Some would say he's talking about spiritual maturity, stages of maturity. Those that are young in Christ, those that have walked with Christ for a little while, those that are very mature in Christ. Some would say that every time he uses the word children, like he does in the rest of the letter, he's actually talking to all believers, all believers. And then there's older and younger ones or spiritually mature or less spiritually mature ones. There's all kinds of different varying views of this. And, And what I want us to do today is not disregard the significance of those really well put together thoughts on these words. What I want us to do is gain from this text what I believe the Lord has for us that is specific for all believers to hear. And that these are truths that ought to be changing us. And so what I want us to do today as we we address this is to look at specifically what it is that's true for all believers of all ages and all stages of maturity, that there is a call to this, to remember who you are. For every believer, 
of every age, remember who you are. And the form in which this reminder comes is he says three things to remember. One is, remember, you're forgiven. Remember that you know God. And remember that you are victorious in God. Remember that you're forgiven. Remember you know God and remember that you are victorious in God. You know, the first of these is uh, that we remember that we are forgiven. You know, I, I, I've already kind of shown my cards a little bit on my love for sports, right? Uh, but, but here's the deal. If you've been around sports at all, if you've ever uh, been around a coach of any kind, you've probably heard this phrase, let's get back to the fundamentals. Let's get back to the fundamentals, right? Fundamentals are something that you teach a five-year-old, but a professional who's 25-year-old keeps going back to those same fundamentals over and over and over and over. You can shoot a five, teach a five-year-old how to shoot a basketball. A 25-year-old who forgets how to shoot a basketball is going to have a problem making a career out of it. They got to go back to the fundamentals over and over and over and over. In many ways, these three things that he says to remember are fundamentals of the Christian faith and the Christian's identity. These are fundamentals for us. And so he says, when he hits pause, he says, listen, you need to remember who you are. These are basics of your new identity in Christ. These are basics of your new identity in Christ. And the first is, he says, remember that you are forgiven by God. Remember that you are forgiven by by God. He says, I'm writing this to you so that you would know that through the work of Jesus Christ, that you have forgiveness of sin. This is one of the fundamentals of the Christian belief, that we have forgiveness of sin through the work of Jesus. And the reason this is a fundamental, because one of the fundamental realities of every human is sin. The reason forgiveness of sin for the believer is a fundamental is because a fundamental reality of every human being is sin. We're, we're covered by it in a sense. We're, we're, we're filled with it, right? It's passed on through the bloodstream, which means it comes from our mother and father, from their mother and father, from there all the way back to Adam and Eve. You can trace the line of sin in all of humanity. And because of this, there is a, there's an implication for the sin, which is separation from God, because God cannot be in the presence of sin. He's holy. And so we're separated from God because of it. And so at the base, at the core, at the foundation of Christian belief is that through the work of Jesus, who lived a life that we couldn't live perfect without sin, but yet died a death that we deserve to take the punishment for our sin, we can have forgiveness of our sins. His righteous put on us, our penalty put on him so that we could be united with God. This is the basis, the foundation of the Christian belief. And John here is saying, you've got to remember who you are. Remember that you are forgiven by God by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, all of the New Testament seems to bring this up over and over and over. You know, the Old Testament reminds us that there's, we can't be forgiven. There's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And add to the detail of that, that it has to be innocent blood. And if it's going to be permanent forgiveness, it has to come through the innocent blood of a person in human form. So therefore, Jesus is the only one that can provide forgiveness for us. And it says here that he provides that and we ought to remember it. Again, reminders of this all over the New Testament. First Peter 3.18 says this, it says, for Christ also suffered for sins. Once he suffered for sins, a righteous man for unrighteous people, 
to bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh or in the body. He was made alive in the spirit. That Jesus' death was for the payment that our sins deserve, the payment of our sins who trust in him. And so what this shows us is not only is that forgiveness of sins at the core of what we believe as Christians, not only is it at the core of our identity as followers of Jesus, but it also helps us identify what we may be forgetting when we become weak. When we become, you know, disappointed with ourselves, when we begin to beat ourselves up, oftentimes the fix is not to go to a book or to Google the answer, how do I find hope because I'm a sinner, right? No, but to go to Jesus, to go to the cross, to be reminded that that's where I find the forgiveness of my sins. But oftentimes what we will want to do is we'll want to look at our own accomplishments, look at our own uh, uh, things that we've attained or the things that we've gained, the things that we've gathered, all of those things. Or we want to look at the other side of the coin and think all about our failures and our shortcomings. And the reality is, is all that does is it doesn't create a greater love for God. It creates a greater love or hate for ourselves. And here, what we're reminded of is go back to the cross. Don't go back to your yesterday. Go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Go back to Jesus, who provides for you the forgiveness that unites you with God. The only thing that unites you with God is the work of Jesus. And he says, go back to that. Go back to that. And the reality is, is that I recognize some of us, some of us have those, what Paul would call a thorn in the flesh. Those sins that keep coming back up, that one thing that's just nagging, we can't quite, we can't quite knock it, can't quite kill that sin in our lives. And for whatever reason, sometimes those things begin to convince us that maybe God hasn't actually forgiven me for that thing. Or maybe it's something that happened in your past. Maybe it's something that happened three months ago or three years ago or 30 years ago, and you're still holding on to that going, surely God could Nothing you have done that would have made God love you less. And there's nothing that you could do that'll make God love you more. It all comes back to that foundational belief that it's forgiveness of sins through the work of Jesus Christ. That we must remember that that is now our identity. Not what we've done not what we could to gain on our own, but we must remember that we are forgiven. And that forgiveness ought to, to help empower us to live with confidence, to remember who we are. And the reality is, as I said already, there's only one way that that comes. And the Bible says that if we say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning that we agree with God that Jesus came to earth and he was God who put on flesh. He was God himself who became a human. And that we believe in our heart or that we trust, right? That we agree with God and trust that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he literally lived a life we couldn't live and died a death that we deserve and then came back to life three days later to prove that he was victorious over sin and death and hell. If we believe that, if we trust that that was true and that that's the only thing that can reunite us or unite us with God, the Bible says that then you will be saved, which means you will be given a new name. You'll be given a new identity and you can look back and say the forgiveness of Christ is part of my identity. And so believer today, hear me. Remember that you are forgiven. 
Remember that you are forgiven. Second thing he says is remember that you know God. Remember that you know God. He says, I'm writing so that you would be reminded of this intimate relationship that you have with God. Over the last couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between knowing somebody personally and knowing something about somebody, knowing things about. We talked about the Michael Jordan thing. I think if you remember that, that last dance documentary has made a lot of people aware of a lot of information about Michael Jordan. We know a lot of details of his life. We know some of the things that he's experienced and done and all that kind of stuff. But none of us in this room know personally Michael Jordan, right? There's a difference between knowing about somebody and truly knowing somebody. This is what John's reminding us of again here, that there is an intimate connection, a deep relationship that exists, he says, between you, follower of Jesus, and God, that there's a deep connection, an intimate relationship. And the reality is, is sometimes when we look back on our relationship with God, we don't use the word deep or intimate. Sometimes we don't even use the word personal because it feels so distant. But we have to come to the grips that this is something that grows over time. There's no fast track to intimacy. There's not something that ignites it and speeds it up and makes it happen more quickly. It's something that happens over time. Now, think about it like this for just a second, right? If you're married, think about your relationship with your spouse, right? My wife and I, we celebrated 15 years of marriage this past summer. And it is uh, we, and we've known each other. We, we, were, we dated for like seven years. Don't do that, by the way. <laughs> Bad. Don't do that. Don't date for seven years before you get married. Um, but but we've, been, we've known each other for 22 years at this point. And so during this season of celebrating our anniversary, we decided to kind of look back on the last 22 years. And we began to reflect back on when I first asked her out. We looked back on maybe how immature we were as 16-year-olds. We looked back on the transition to college and what that meant for our relationship and the decisions that we were making. We looked back on how responsible we thought we were, but now how responsible we know we weren't, right? We looked back on our, when I, when I proposed to her and asked her to marry. We looked back on the day we got married. We looked back on our first major geographical move as a married couple, as a family. We looked back on the birth of our first child and our third, second child. We didn't skip the second one, I promise. The third child, the fourth child, we, all of them. I promise I really do love them. I really do. All of them, even the second one. Um, <laughs> but we looked back on all of that. We looked at back three and a half years ago when we moved here. And here's what I can tell you. When we first started dating, we had passion. We, we were excited about being with each other, but we didn't have intimacy. We didn't have intimacy. We didn't have a depth to our relationship. It was still very surface level. Intimacy, right? It's the same word we see here that you know the Father. It's the same word used to describe the intimacy of a married couple. It is a, a deep intimacy, a connection, a relational oneness that he says that you have with God the Father. And let's be real. Sometimes we don't feel like that's, a, that's our thing. We don't feel like depth and intimacy describe our relationship with God. So it's like, John, why, why are you telling me to remember this? I don't think that's true of me. You have to remember that this happens over time. You know, it may be that you've only been a believer for a short time. And in being a believer for a little while, you feel like, man, we have not gotten there. That's probably true. It may be that you've known God for a long time, but you just don't feel like it's all that deep and intimate with God. This is something that grows over time. But hear me, if you're a follower of Jesus, know this, it's different than me and my wife. 
Because for me and my wife, we both had to learn to be intimate with one another, to grow in that relationship with one another. God is already intimately aware of every detail of our lives. He's intimately in love with each of us who follow him, deeply in love with us. There's no intimacy growth that's needed on his side. It's all on our side. And so what he's doing is going, come to me, know me more, become more intimate with me, love me more deeply, be deeply connected to me, be more at one with me. He's inviting us to that. And John here is saying, listen, the fact that God knows you and loves you is fantastic, but remember that he's called you to himself too. He's saying, move toward God. And remember that you actually, of all people in the world, have a personal relationship with the God of the universe who made all things, including you. He knows you personally, and he's given you the privilege of knowing him. He says, remember that you know God. Remember who you are. Remember that you're forgiven by God. Remember that you know God. And then last he says this, remember that you are victorious in God. Remember that you are victorious in God. He says, I'm writing these things to you that you would remember that there is a victory that has been bought for you by the work of Jesus, that the war against sin ultimately is one that's been won by Jesus. But he also says, remember this, that in your daily battle, in the last verse there in 14, he says in the present tense that you're strong, that that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus. He says that by the power of the word of God, by abiding in the word of God, you have overcome the evil one. He says that it's by the spirit of God alive in you today and the word of God at work in you today that you now in this daily battle that we're fighting, not the cosmic battle over sin, that's been done, right? But the daily battle that we're all fighting, struggling to trust God more. He says, I've given you what you need to fight this battle, my spirit and my word. Right? The spirit, he says the spirit, is, the spirit and the flesh are like opposites, right? They're totally opposites. They're in opposition of each other completely. It's like light and dark, high and low, uh, Trump and Biden. I don't know. It's opposite, right? Just total opposites of one another. Okay? And he says that the spirit and the flesh are at war within us. And he says, by the spirit of God alive in you, you have the power that you need to fight against the flesh at work in you. James 1 reminds us that it's not things around us that cause us to sin. It's things within us, our flesh that grows into temptation, that grows into sin, that breeds death. He says that he's given us freedom to fight against that, to fight against the flesh by the power of the spirit. But then he says that there's this deep abiding trust in the word of God. You know, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that when we're tempted, there's a way out that we can stand up under, I believe the word of, the, of, of God is what shows us that way out. The word of God is what shows us that way out. That temptation doesn't have to overcome us because there's a way out. And by this deep abiding trust in the word of God, we are given what we need for that way out. By the Spirit of God, we can battle against the flesh. By the Word of God, we can find our way out. And because of that, then we are victorious by the work of God. Because of God, we are victorious. And he says, remember that you have victory over the evil one. You have victory over sin and temptation. You have victory. Remember who you are. You are victorious, he says. And so what we must then do is we must keep these promises of God in sight. We have to keep our eyes open so that we can see them. 
You know, Augustine once said, he said, it's no advantage to be near the light if the eyes are closed. There's no advantage to be near the light if the eyes are closed. He says, there's no advantage to being close to God if your eyes aren't open to see him. You know, think about a sunset. If you've ever tried to see one, there's two things that have to be true. Right place, right time. You're not going to see one at one o'clock in Middle Tennessee. Sorry. It's not going to happen. You got to be in the right place in the right time. But you got to have your eyes open too. You got to be turned in the right direction. You got to have your eyes open. You know, I think sometimes we forget these fundamentals, don't we? We forget the reality that we are forgiven by God, that we know God, have a personal relationship with God, that, that, that we are victorious because of God. And we forget these things. And when those reminders leave us, we're left searching for answers. You know, it's very likely that in this season, some of you have maybe felt some doubt. And maybe it's because of the events in our world over the last five, six months. Maybe it's because of, as we've looked at the word of God over the last few weeks, you've been asking yourself these questions and going, man, I just don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. I think that's why John says, hey, we need to pause. Follower of Jesus, remember who you are. Christian, remember who you are. Child of God, remember who you are. You know, as we get caught up in these seasons, of just questions. I said it earlier, don't Google how do I find hope? Turn to the source of it. Turn to these reminders. Go back to that battlefield called Calvary and remember the work that was done. Revisit the, the cemetery where the empty tomb lays and remember the victory that's been won. Go back and remember who you are. Remember that there is forgiveness of sin. Remember that you have a relationship with God. Remember that you are victorious over the evil one. Remember who you are. I'm going to mention a name that, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying not to do too much judging right now of how old you are. Um, George Foreman, right? George Foreman, former boxer, heavyweight champion of the world. I'm sure many of you in this, some of you in this room probably know who he is, Okay. George Foreman, he's best known as being an incredible boxer, world heavyweight champion, all that kind of stuff. He also, after his career in boxing, turned into like a TV celebrity. And then, then this was the thing that blew me away the most. He, he actually became like a grill guru, right? Which I never understood that, but I used the mess out of one of those things in college. Um, but, but George Foreman, a lot of things are known about him. Another thing he was really good at is making children. He had 12 of them. And so um, seven daughters, five sons. Seven daughters, five sons. All five of his sons he named George. He was asked once in an interview, why did you do that? Well, he gave two answers. The first is, I've been hitting the head so many times, I need to make my life as simple as possible. Right? <laughs> Understandable. But the second was, he said, you know, I grew up without a father. And I wanted to do everything I could to make sure my children know who their daddy is. You know, George Foreman's kids, they know their dad. They can look back on their names, on their experiences, 
and know who they are. They can, they can look back on, on what their dad has done for them. They can look back on, on the work that he's done, probably all the money that he's put into them. They can look back, and when, that, when, when it gets hard to keep fighting, they can look back and go, my dad's a fighter, and he fought for me. You know, believers, we need to remember who we are. We need to be reminded that we are forgiven. We need to be reminded that we do know God. We need to be reminded that we're victorious over sin and death. Because here's the deal. The the world is going to give you a different narrative about who you are. And it's going to be completely dependent upon how much money you can make. It's going to be dependent on how high you can climb on a ladder. It's going to be dependent upon uh, what kind of things you get your kids involved in and how well they do in those things. It's going to be built upon who you vote for. It's going to be built upon a lot of different things. And I will tell you that our identity based on the word of God is not based on those things. It's not based on your, how many likes your last post got. Our identity is based on something that somebody else did for us. And he says in 1 John, he says, remember what God did so you can remember who you are. He said, don't go back to what you did last week or last year or last decade. He says, go back to what Christ did 2,000 years ago and remember who you are. Don't think about what you did today. Think about what Christ is doing in you. Church family, I want you to hear today that when we know who we are, it's a reason for joy. There's a reason for hope. Sometimes we just need to take a little journey back to the battlefield, don't we? And that sometimes is probably every day, maybe every moment. You know, if you're in the room and you don't understand what in the world I'm talking about, maybe you're in the room and you're just going, man, I wish I could say that's who I am. I want you to hear me very clearly. (laughs) Just because you couldn't say that's who you were when you walked in this room doesn't mean you can't say it when you walk out. You know, I, I heard y'all applauding Kyle for knowing the phone number or whatever. <laughs> hey, it's a real number. And I will tell you, real life change is happening by people that are responding to that number. If you're in this room today and going, hey, I need, to, I, I need a new identity. I, 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 need to, I need to be forgiven. I need to have a relationship with God. I, I need to have victory over the sin in my life. Two ways that you can respond. One, you can come talk to myself, CJ, Kurt, Brandy, Kyle, after the service. Let us journey with you toward the cross. Or you can text 615-551-9800 and text the word Jesus to that number. And we're going to start a conversation with you to help you have a new identity. But believer in the room today, hear me clearly. Sometimes we need to look back on that battlefield and remember who we are. It'll well up joy. It'll grow our confidence. And it'll help us fight the battle that's outside these doors. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, you are good. You're good, and we see that in a lot of ways, in a lot of places, but specifically, Lord, in your word, you show us that over and over and over. And I pray, God, today, that as we've looked at your word, that it would be a sweet reminder powerful reminder for us that you are a God who has not left us, that you don't leave your children wandering in the wilderness alone, but God, even when it feels 
like a dry desert, you are there. And so, Father, this morning, as we've taken a trip back to the cross to remember who we truly are, God, I pray that it would empower us for the journey ahead. For those hearing this today that do not have a relationship with you, that don't know you, but that know they need a new identity. God, may that be evidence to them, even in this moment, that it is your spirit that's coming alive in them, and may they be obedient. God, would you save? Would you work? God, would these reminders of our forgiveness, of our relationship with you, and of our victory, God, may they grow in us a sense of confidence and joy and hope that the world sees and wonders. God, may we become confident in who we are in you. God, thank you for your reminder today of who we are. It's the name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. Church, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. And as we do, I want to ask you to just continue to ask that question of, do you know who you are? Are you confident in who you are? Are you confident in the work of Christ in you? And if not, come talk with us. Let's journey together. Let's, let's work through that doubt or that fear or that need for salvation. Let's journey together. But as we sing now, let's continue. Let's celebrate. If we know Jesus, we got a reason to celebrate because we know who we are. Amen? Let's sing together.